0: Let's try that again. Our reading this morning is um, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Would you read with me? Not that I have already obtained this, or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Good morning, uh, for those of you who might not recognize me, um, that's okay, I'm never up here. so <laughs> I'm one of four PLI students, um, we've been in a program for the last two and a half years and part of that has been that um, we are all preaching once this summer, um, maybe some of us the last time, so... I'm excited to be here. Um, Really excited for what the Lord has taught me in studying this text and being able to bring that to you all. So um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, um, whether it's a tablet or phone, whatever um, document you have. Go to Philippians chapter 3 verses 12. We're going to spend a lot of time in the text this morning. That I don't think will be a surprise to most of you if you've been part of WCC for any amount of time. Um, We talk about being new here. Sometimes you meet people um, and you, you think you're reaching out to a visitor, and they're like, oh, I lead a community group. And so um, that's part of being part of a body that's growing. So we're excited about that. Um, one thing I appreciate about WCC is that this is a word-centered church. Um, it's also a gospel-centered church. So just a bit of background um, for my wife and I. We, we both grew up in word-centered churches. Um, she, was over, she grew up in New Hampshire. I grew up down in Denver. Um, and we, that laid the foundation um, for our lives. As we started a family, as we started um, once we got married, that word-centeredness was a fantastic foundation for us. And I became a believer when I was um, 18. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a, in a good word-centered church, but just it wasn't real for me until I became a believer. Um... That's when my life changed. A year later, I went to Bible college, and there I was introduced to um, some good Reformed preachers, good theologians, John Piper, Tim, Tim Keller, sucking up their messages, reading books. Um, and then there was one particular pamphlet. It's, it's a book called The Gospel Primer. It's by Milton Vincent. And as I read that in college, I was introduced to this idea of preaching the gospel to myself. So when we talk about the gospel, we know that the gospel is, the word literally means good news. It's the good news that Jesus came to earth to die for us, to save us from an eternity separated from God. We know that. But sometimes, and at least for me at that point, there was this kind of assumption that the gospel is for unbelievers. And then once you become a believer, you can kind of check that mark, check that box and say, I've got the gospel now now I'm, you know, the primary focus is sanctification. It's, you know, theological knowledge. And what that book revealed to me um, is an idea was that the gospel is for all of us every day. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's something that I need every day. So this idea of preaching the gospel, gospel to myself has become a lifeline. I think at the beginning, I was worried that um, if I did this, if I was constantly reminding myself of the gospel, preaching it back to myself on a daily basis, because the gospel is so sweet, it would be like um, like eating candy or cake and ice cream every day, every meal. Um, I love Reese's peanut butter cups. So I would, there's a part of me that would eat those like meal after meal. I would just eat tons of them. I could go through a bag of those things. But the reality is that it only takes a few doses before um, your body does not appreciate that. Your mind might think that it sounds like a good idea, but your body doesn't appreciate that. And I assumed that the gospel, repeated back to myself, feasting on that every day, would have that same effect. It would get old. It would get cliche. The reality is that the gospel has um, not only not lost its savor, it's become sweeter. It's the good news of the gospel. It has reminded me that, um, as Tim Keller says, you are more sinful than you could ever dare imagine, and you, you, you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope at the same time. So what does that have to do with our message today? Um, hopefully, if you've been here for this summer as we've been going through Philippians, you've caught on to the, the theme of Philippians, it's encouragement to press on. What is pressing on? We're going to talk about that today, um, but a few, a few things I want to read to us, just observations as I've read through Philippians. What does it mean to press on? And just hopefully reminding you of some of the messages that we've heard in the last couple months here. Pressing on is being thankful, being loving, praying for each other, rejoicing in suffering, rejoicing in the Lord, living worthy of the gospel, being unified, suffering well like Jesus, being fearless towards your opponents, doing things without grumbling and disputing, being humble being content in all circumstances. And as we continue on in this next chapter, a bit of a spoiler alert, we're going to learn that pressing on is, has to do a lot with how we think, thinking on these things. So two questions before we get started today that we will, we will answer. And I want you to just, I just shamelessly ask you to put out um, the distractions. I know, I know we all, it's the middle of summer, we have busy lives, um, thinking about work, the work week starts back up tomorrow. Thinking about how we're going to finish out the weekend, um, you might be worried that your kid uh, is biting someone in the nursery or um, being bitten by one of my kids. That's a <laughs> that's a legitimate fear. So let's let all that push all that out and focus. Two questions this morning: What prevents you from pressing on? And the second question. What motivates you to press on, whether it's good or bad, regardless of circumstances? What motivates you to press on? Let's pray. God, as we are here today, I pray that you'd help us worship you. Help me as I speak and um, I'm in a different perspective than I usually have in our corporate worship. I pray for these here as they listen to me and as they think. Help them to worship you. Please show us the freedom that you've given us in belonging to you. Help me to articulate the words um, that come from your perfect word in a way that enables us to obey you and to love you. I just pray that you would speak your perfect message through an imperfect messenger. Thank you for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So looking at Philippians 12 through 16, we're going to go through these five verses this morning. We're going to move through the text make some observations, and hopefully get to answers to those two questions that we just asked. Philippians 3.12, look with me. I'll read that again. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So in the text, we see Paul's referring to the resurrection when he says, not that I have already obtained this. That's going back, looking back at verses um, 10 and 11. Paul says, I haven't already obtained the resurrection. I'm not already perfect. I'm not already there. But I press on towards that. I'm getting there because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he's saying, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm in hot pursuit. That's where where I'm headed. The resurrection is what's referred to by this that resurrection, that's the destination of our Christian life. The resurrection is what one writer describes as the culmination of Christian hope. That's, that's the goal. That's where we're headed. Death is the finish line, you could say, and the resurrection is the beginning of our forever with God. The main point of today's text is not around the resurrection as much as around the motivation to press on. So the question is, why should I press on? What, why should you press on? Why, should, why did Paul press on? Why? What's the point? Paul gives us the answer at the end of this first verse that we're reading. Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. That's huge. The answer to one of the questions we just asked, what motivates you to press on? We're pressing toward the resurrection because Christ's act of saving us motivates us to do this. That's the gospel. Christ taking ownership of us is the gospel. Paul's referencing this, the reality that when Christ made us his own, he saved us. He adopted us. We, we used to be children of darkness, children of um, unbelief, Ephesians 2, and God brought us into his family, his forever family to be his children. He redeemed us. We just sang about some of these um, wonderful theological truths. He redeemed us. He saved us from the penalty of our sins, which is all of our, our evil deeds, the words we say that are wrong, even our thoughts, even our, our um, heart's desires that are ungodly. God saved us from all of that. Motivations are so important, and that's why we need to preach it to ourselves every day. Preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to do this. We do this, actually, in every other pursuit that we have, whether it's uh, work or parenting or hunting, exercise, all the things that we do, you have to reflect on why you do them at some point. Um, there's a reason. You might not be, Maybe not because you like it, but there's a reason. There's a motivation for paying your bills. We have to do it. Um, there's a reason for hunting. And I, I think about this. When, I'm, when my lungs are burning, when I'm elk hunting, I love elk hunting. If you know me at all, you know that I, just, I um, probably might live for that more than I should. I love elk hunting. And so... When I'm trying to catch up with Jeremy Sornin and I'm chasing him up a mountain and that's that's a hard thing to do and my lungs are burning my legs are burning and I'm carrying a heavy pack I just I do wonder I say why do I do this what is the motivation behind this this hurts and when I remember why I do that because I love it it's okay I can it spurs me on it helps me to press on Let me read a portion of that book that I referenced earlier the Gospel Primer Milton Vincent says The more I experience the riches of Christ in the gospel, the more there develops within me a yearning to be with Christ in heaven, where I will experience his grace in unhindered fullness. The reason for this yearning is simple. However great may be the present blessings of salvation, they are but the first fruits of the Spirit, the first installments of an unimaginably great harvest of glory, which I will reap forever in heaven. Hope of eternity with Christ in heaven also enables my heart to thrive during the most difficult and lengthy trials here on earth. When looking at the sheer weight of unseen glories to come, my troubles seem light by comparison. And when looking at the staggering length of eternity, my troubles seem fleeting by comparison. It is only against the backdrop of a glorious eternity that my circumstances can be seen in such a manner and the promise of this glorious eternity is part and parcel of the gospel itself. Preaching the gospel to myself every day is a great way to keep myself established in the hope of the gospel, so that I might experience the practical benefits that such hope is intended to bring me here on earth. Paul declares when he says, I press on because Christ owns me. He declares that his motivation to press on is because Jesus ran hard after him. Jesus caught him, and he isn't letting go. Jesus has made us his own. I think that might be clear to us at times. There are a lot of times where everything is as it should be. We are um, feasting on the gospel. We are we're just, there's the sweetness of the truth of God's love for us is real. We're on a high. Um, everything is as it should be. And then there are other times where we are distracted. When I'm not, I'm not dialed in, the future is foggy. I'm not really sure where I'm headed. There's stress, there's depression. I understand what's being said. Like I hear the truth that the gospel is real and it has this motivating, motivating factor that could help me every day, but I'm just not connecting the gospel, this theological truth. I'm not, just not connecting it to Tuesday morning where I actually live. Paul continues by instructing us and helping us with that discontinuity. He helps us in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He repeats that. I I haven't made the resurrection my own. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, and then look at verse 14 for that one thing. He says, one thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us how. That one thing he does is pressing on, but how he does that is two things. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's, this is going to be the meat of today's text. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Two tactics for pressing on. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Forcing ourselves to run forward. Um, Paul uses a metaphor of a race. And that's pretty common throughout the New Testament. Athletic imagery has just something that's very relevant to the Christian life. Um, In the summer of 2013, I think it was 2013. Yeah, I ran a Tough Mudder um, over Christmas the year before. My sister had um, it was a birthday, it was a Christmas gift. She gave me um, a Tough Mudder. So, (laughs) so I opened the box and there's a pair of like workout shorts. Um, which was kind of insulting that I didn't even have workout shorts. So been married for a few years, and maybe she was starting to see the dad bod take effect. Um, I haven't really got into all that with her, but she said, we're going to run a Tough Mudder. I ran one this summer. It was awesome. You and I are going to do this. So she, she bought the tickets. Um, we were back for Christmas, and that's when she um, told me this. Then the next summer, we had to get in shape, and so um, I kind of did that but I'm not a runner. I I despise running. Um, It's like this necessary evil. I've done a lot of it because I grew up wrestling, and um, in order to get your lungs in shape, you have to do something. So it's swimming or running, and uh, I've done more running than I would have liked to, and I will continue running even though I don't like it. So um, we ran this Tough Mudder together. It was supposed to be 10 miles, 20 obstacles. So how these races work. Has anybody ran a Tough Mudder in here? OK, Jason, All right, so, or a Spartan race, you guys heard of those? OK, so they're about the same, unless you're a purist. But Dan Hardy's not here today, so I can say that they're about the same. <laughs> um, so you run the Tough Mudder. About every half mile, you stop and there's an obstacle, whether you climb over a haystack or jump off a deck and swim out of a um, big muddy swimming pool or whatever it is. So you're going through this. And um, it's supposed to be 10 miles, 20 obstacles. About mile five, I start to get kind of skeptical, mostly because I'm so out of shape, and I start thinking, what if this isn't 10 miles? Like, what if, what if they made a mistake there, and they just kind of, I mean, I'm counting on 10 miles. I'm really counting on less than that, but um, what if it's not 10 miles? Um, eight miles later, if you're doing your math, I saw a sign that said mile 13, and I was like, yep, I knew it. This was longer, longer than 10 miles. There's probably a whole message in there about um, the Christian life being longer than maybe what we had expected. The agreement that my sister and I made when we set out on this Tough Mudder was that we weren't going to stop. No matter what, we would keep running. Tough Mudders aren't really, it's a kind of this community event. It's not really about winning. You're not really in competition as much with the people around you. It's, just a, it's this thing where everybody tries their hardest, and, and you just force yourself to run all the way through. Do your best. And so that's what we made this agreement. No matter what, we weren't going to stop running. And we didn't. I didn't stop running. Between every obstacle, I ran the whole way. Now, full disclosure: um, I was. I do remember at one point there was um, a, a woman who, like, graciously. She's probably three times my age, and she speedwalked past me running. So, <laughs> so there's, there's a truth to that. That not not all of us run at the same pace. But the the point of pressing on, of straining forward was that no matter what, I was going to keep running. I wasn't going to slow down any more than I possibly could. I was going to strain forward. Paul gives us um, two tactics. Press on by forgetting what's behind. Press on by straining forward. When we talk about forgetting what's behind, I think that comes down to two categories. The first one is you can not forget what's behind by reflecting on your past regrets or you can reflect on your past successes, your credentials. Stephen preached on that a couple weeks ago. Burn the list, all of those things that make you think that you're good enough, um, that you don't have to really press on as much because I've already got it, I'm pretty far ahead. For some of us, we're probably, and I know I am, we're probably tempted to remember what is behind in terms of our, our failures. For me, I remember it that, in all seriousness, I remember regretting at mile five, I probably should have ran more than one or two miles a week, three times a week, trying to get ready for this 10-mile race. Um, And that's distracting, because as you're in the race, you're constantly thinking, oh, I wish I should have, if only I would have. It's distracting. When I focus on all those things, all those thoughts and memories that accuse me, and that remind me how evil I am spiritually, Those thoughts are saying to me, you aren't worthy, you're a hypocrite. If only people saw who you really are, if only people really knew you, you don't have a right to be in church, you're just like the rest of them. For Paul, these thoughts of what was behind might have been the memories of persecuting the church, referenced earlier in Philippians 3. He was a persecutor of the church, he held the coats while Stephen was stoned. For you, it might be regrets from your youth. It might be regrets from two years ago. It might even be regrets from last week or this morning. Paul instructs us in order to press on, forget what is behind. I'm going to read a couple verses from 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul does this. He's preaching to, or he's writing to the Corinthian church, a church that um, had been plagued with gross immorality. A lot of sin, and he reminds them of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures confesses and then emphasizes the gospel. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, this is Paul forgetting what's behind, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." We are called to remember the gospel and forget what is behind. It's easy to get those turned around to where I'm remembering what's behind, remembering of all of my insufficiencies, my failures, and I'm forgetting the gospel. Think back to um, even just a couple weeks ago. This is not something that's just theoretical. This is real for me. I was having lunch with a a good friend at Qdoba um, and just confessing, frustrating um, over regrets that I have from years ago. Um, and those are holding me back in a, in a way, not a, a gospel-centered reflection that, oh, God's, God's really changed me, but um, a captivating, slaving, enslaving reflection. And I was reminded, didn't Jesus take care of all that? It's a rhetorical question, but I answered, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good reminder. I need that. I need this. I need this instruction to forget what's behind. When we're tempted to make excuses to look back, we need to remember the gospel. I think a bit of a clarification is important here. Forgetting what lies behind doesn't mean forgetting every detail of where you came from. You can't remember the gospel without remembering that you needed to be saved from something. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, going back to that Corinthian church, Paul does this with them. He reminds them, and such were some of you. Some of you, he's saying to this Corinthian church, were caught up in these gross immoral failures. And such were some of you. And then he transitioned to the gospel. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What is needed is to forget what lies behind in a way that is distracting us from pressing on the prize of finishing the future resurrection. Paul reminds them where they came from, and then he reminds them of the gospel that enables us, enables them, in the church in Philippi, the church in Corinth, enables us to worship because of the good news of what Jesus has done to us. Knowing that mile marker five is in the past and that there were mistakes made in the past can encourage us to press on as long as we don't focus on the failures we can't remember the gospel without remembering that we needed to be saved. But to focus on the sins of the past without the balance of God's love and grace extended towards us is condemnation. The gospel is focused on bringing us into this place of perfect unity with God, not just taking away um, the penalty of our sin, life or eternity without God in hell, it's not just that, but also taking away the shame and the guilt that was brought on ourselves with that sin. We don't look back when driving a car. We shouldn't look back spiritually. What we need to remember about looking back is that it can be dangerous, but if you're like me, it just slows us down. You can ask my wife, when I get distracted while driving, um, never texting, of course, um, that's not true, um, but when I get distracted, even if I'm looking at the road and I start thinking about something, it's not like I just put it in the ditch. We're not going through a new car every week. But what I do is I slow down. She'll look over at me, she'll see, she'll notice that we're slowing, and she'll say, What are you thinking about? Oh, I don't know. How do you know that how do you know that I'm thinking about something? She's like, Well, we're you know, we're going forty five miles an hour on the freeway. I know you're <laughs> thinking about something, but you're not thinking about getting where we're getting to. We need to forget what's behind. That includes our credentials, when you forget all those things that we think um, make us good enough. Tactic number two is to strain forward. When I think about straining forward, I can't help but remember my freshman year of um, high school, ninth grade, going to wrestling practice um, at the high school level for the first time was a big deal. So you go into the room. I was good enough to where they let me practice with the varsity right away, so you go in. The practices are about two hours long, really intense. And the first week, you're just kind of getting used to, OK, what's, what's it like? And you're just trying your hardest. And you have a couple learning experiences. So you go through practice. You warm up. You drill hard, wrestle live. And then at the end, we would always do conditioning. That's how we closed out every practice. Short sprints, um, those were OK. I don't mind sprinting. You know, Six-second sprints, um, no big deal. We did like a modified burpee, like 200 of these. Those were grueling and brutal. But you just kind of got through it. What for me, just for me, because you guys already know that I I hate running, we had to do hauls. These were 30-second sprints all the way down to the end of the hall, around the trash can. Don't touch the trash can. And then all the way back, about 30 seconds flat out. And you're running as hard as you can. Um, We would do, I think, six of those for time. And it wasn't like the Tough Mudder where you just had to finish running hard. If you didn't make the time, you had to do it again. And so um, for a freshman, that can be a bit traumatic. So you start to compensate by saving energy. You stop straining forward throughout the course of the practice. You're trying to like, save up your reserves so that you can, you can finish conditioning. And as a freshman, I went through about four months of this anxiety over, okay, what are we going to have to do for conditioning? And I think a lot of that was born out in this one experience where um, it was a Saturday morning practice. I won't forget it. And we weren't making the time, so we had to keep doing these hauls. And you don't get much rest in between, so you have to keep, you sprint. If you don't make the time, you got to do another one, so you're more tired. And it's Part of the training that they, our coaches were doing, which was good to um, teach you mental toughness and all this stuff. But if you can just imagine about a dozen ninth graders like ugly crying because they can't make the time. It was real. I mean, I'm remembering these guys. I remember the name. I mean, Rodney, he was too slow. And so we had to keep running this. We ran that 11 times. This is, you know, years ago and I can still remember this. What I learned as a sophomore later on was that we had to, the secret to getting better, to getting faster, to avoiding that painful situation, was not to conserve your energy throughout practice. I don't think I was lazy. It wasn't like I was um, doing less than what I should have. I was giving 100%, but I wasn't giving it 110%. I wasn't trying as hard as I could. And so you go through the season conserving this energy and you're holding yourself back just so you can make it through the end of practice the point of practice is um, for what's the real matches, the tournaments, for the state tournament. It's not just about getting through practice. As a sophomore, you learn. You learn, and you see the new fresh meat come in, the new ninth graders. They don't know. And so they're conserving energy. They're doing that same thing. You can tell that they're nervous. Someone has to tell them, hey, don't do that. Don't conserve your energy. Stop holding back. Push yourself really hard. Strain forward. Flex every muscle give it 110% through the month of November, and then the next three months of the season are a whole lot easier. It's a game changer. Paul's encouraging us here, flex every muscle, strain forward. That's how you press on. It's important to remember that the gospel isn't just the gateway to open the doors, allow us into this Christian life, this race. The gospel is also the vehicle that carries us through. Early in Philippians, Paul said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. As long as we are defining Paul's metaphors, it's important to understand that Jesus has already won the race. We are running hard after him. The victory is sure because he promised that what he has started in us, he will finish. The command to strain forward, to press on, is to finish by sprinting across the finish line. One of my favorite sayings here at WCC, one of my favorite gospel reminders, Dan has said this a couple times, the gospel isn't against working, it's against earning. Christ's ownership over us guarantees our finishing the race and receiving the prize of full salvation. Paul encourages us here to finish at a dead sprint. Verse 15, look with me. Let those of us who are mature, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Here's a wonderful exhortation. It's just wrapped in a promise in an exhortation. What Paul is asking us to do, in addition to um, instructing us, is he's saying, press on, think this way. When we preach the gospel to yourselves, it's usually not this audible thing where you're um, going through your day speaking out loud to yourself. Um, People who do that, like me, people catch me and it's weird. So you're not going to speak that. You're going to think the gospel to yourself in reality. And as you think that to yourself, the way of thinking is what Paul's talking about here. Here's how he's calling us to think. Think in a way that is motivated to press on by the gospel. Think in a way pressing on by forgetting what is behind. Press on by straining forward. And finally, press on, verse 16, by clinging to what we have attained. Look at verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What is that? It's the gospel. It's the promise of the resurrection. The promise that we will finish the race. And at the end, as the storybook says, everything that is sad will come untrue. Philippians 1 Paul says in the same way, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Hold fast to the gospel. It motivates you to press on because in Christ's example, we see someone who pressed on through trials, through death on the cross, who strained forward undistracted from finishing his race and guaranteeing our salvation. Going back to our first two questions that we asked earlier, what prevents you from pressing on? Is it your credentials? Is it your regrets? And what motivates you to push through life? The thread that runs through this passage and answers these questions is the gospel. The gospel motivates us. It enables us. That's the connection. It motivates us because it enables us to forget what's behind because God has forgotten what's behind. Jesus has taken care of that. It's effective for all believers. There's a promise that if you aren't mature in your thinking, God will reveal that to you. He will finish what he has started. And if you doubt that you can finish the race, the gospel will carry you. So as you go, preach the gospel to yourself. Only by reminding ourselves of our undeserving condition and, our, and God loving us just because he loved us can we find the freedom to rejoice, to be humble, to be thankful, to think rightly. Only through the gospel can you strain forward through those adolescent years when you're young and you have so much of the race left in front of you. And interestingly, only through the gospel can you strain forward through midlife and retirement when you have much of your life in the past. At every point, there is the temptation, young or old, There's the temptation to stop and despair. There are voices that whisper, you'll never finish. There will be time to sprint later. You've got a lot of running left. It's okay to slow down. There's pride that reminds you, you're so far ahead. Look at everybody else. You can afford to slow down a little. For those moments, we need to remember the gospel. When we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, if this is a new idea to you, it might look something like this reminding yourself, I am a child of God. He loves me, no matter what. He won't stop loving me, even when I'm unlovable. He promises not to disown me. I didn't deserve his love then, and I can't earn his love now. Better yet, it might look like quoting scripture to ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace I have been saved through faith. It's not of myself, not because of something I've done, not of my works, so that I can't boast. I am Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that I should walk in. Windsor Church, I want to encourage you from our passage this morning to run hard after Christ, because he ran hard after you, he caught you, he owns you, and he will never let you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gospel. I pray that um, it would not grow cliche. It would not lose its sweetness. That as we feast in that, we would see continually how bad we are, but yet how much we are loved at the same time. You love us more than we could ever imagine. Help us to feast on that truth. Help us to live in it. We pray that you would be magnified in the process. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.